Hi, listeners. Today, we're excited to share an emotional and uplifting episode from a new podcast we think you'll love. Quien Are We? is a podcast from Colorado Public Radio. It's a series hosted by journalist May Ortega, featuring intimate stories centered on Latinos from all walks of life. They've done episodes about an amateur chef on a mission to recreate the green chile recipe from his grandmother, never putting it in writing, a brewer who is connecting to his heritage by recreating the ancient drinks of his ancestors, and a woman who set out to make a documentary film about the complexities of Latino identity, even though she'd never made a movie. It's a show about the moments big and small that help shape us. You can follow Quien Are We on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. On this episode, we hope to energize our listeners ahead of the midterm elections with the help from our friends Adri Perez, an organizer, educator, and danzante in Texas, and Ji Yung Park, one of the defenders of justice running for Superior Court judge here in L.A. County. Welcome to Tamarindo Podcast. Hosted by me, Brenda Gonzalez, a political nerd and nonprofit capacity builder. And me, Ana Sheila Victorino, a queer well-being enthusiast and mindset coach. We are a Latinx empowerment podcast discussing politics, culture, and how to keep your calma with well-being practices and self-love. Welcome to the show! Hi, Tamarindo Podcast listeners. How are you, Ana Sheila? What's up, Brenda? ¿Cómo estás? I'm doing so well. Well, so am I. <laughs> I'm here in the Bay Area having fantastic weather. It's been great. You're in Los Angeles. We just keep passing each other by, but not in the same room. Once again, aquí en el Zoom. Okay, no other que pasas, just you're doing fabulous. That's it? That's all that's on your uh, mind? No, I got, I, girl, I always got stuff going on. So the, the most exciting thing that I have going on that is that today, we're recording on Friday, y'all. I'm going to see... Bad Bunny. Wow. I've been looking forward to this for a long time now. I'm very excited. I think it's like a very special moment. I think, you know, he's at his peak right now. So it feels kind of like a cultural zeitgeist moment. Like I know so many people that have been or are going to be there tonight. So I'm really excited. Where's it going to um, be? It's going to be at the SoFi Stadium in, in LA. It's near Inglewood. Yeah. So luckily I'm like staying like less than 10 minutes from there. So I feel very grateful for that. Y también, I just, I like, when I have the time, when I can make the time, I like kind of dressing up in costume a Ooh, little bit, like you, I'm into you, that. You got a plan for your outfit? Just a little bit. Like, I painted my nails, which I haven't done in a long time, to match my shirt that I bought for the concert. I'm going to wear, I, uh, I bought, <laughs> so he wears nose rings a lot. I don't have my nose pierced, but I, I ordered some fake, a fake yeah. nose ring. <laughs> y que más, my friend who I'm staying with is going to braid my hair. Just like a little braid, because he also often has little braids. You got to so put I a little bead a little... at the end. <laughs> <laughs> I, girl, I'm the other thing I did. This is it's not really for the concert because I've been wanting to do this, pero I pierced my ears. Oh, Brenda, do you have? Do yes, you, do you I have had them ear, ear, like have, days, days old, days old. I had my ears pierced. No, no, no. So, so I have those. So I've had my earlobes pierced since I was six months, but I have never by on my own as an adult pierced my ears until yesterday. I literally went to go pierce my ears. Did it hurt? Yeah, it hurts. It hurts for sure. But no mucho, no mucho. It, it's just now you have to, I have to be really careful with it. And then I didn't know, I didn't know this, but 
whatever earrings you put in there, you have to keep those on for several months. And I didn't know that. So there's a lot of stuff I didn't know because I literally haven't had my ears pierced since I was six months old. <laughs> yeah, you weren't informed then at six months. Well, uh, the only relatable story that I have about that is that maybe your parents were also very restrictive about body parts being pierced other than my ear. Uh, if you're a person that was in high school in 2001, those years, I think universally all the girls had their belly button pierced. So I got my belly button pierced uh, in secret, in secret, in, I was already a little bit older. I was probably like 20 years old. I went to Cancun with my cousins in Mexico. It was so much fun. And I got my belly button pierced and I thought, okay, I'll just hide it from my parents. They won't know. Well, literally the day that I get back, my dad was like telling a joke. And for some reason he like smacked me in the stomach as he was like laughing I don't know why. And it hurt because like you, as you're experiencing, it's, you're very tender and I, it hurt. And he was like, what? Like, and it didn't last like literally like no, like hardly any hours from landing was that secret kept. <laughs> like they, they're like, oh my God, but whatever, you know, they forgave me. And I, and I only got out, get, got that piercing out maybe like five years ago. So it's been, it was a long time running. Long time running that with my so belly button. <laughs> okay, well, that was a fun little catch up. While we have your ears, folks, we do want to tell you some housekeeping because there's still we still got a time to to plug it in, plug it in. So we want to tell you that we've got our live event. Our live event is by the if you hear this when this episode comes out, our live event is very soon. It's the next day. It would be on Thursday. So we're having it October six at seven p.m. at the Pop Hop. We hope that you come. So please make the plan to go to that. And then while I have you, again, we have another opportunity for you to be in community with us. Actually, two more opportunities. One, Anna Shayla, I, want, I, hope, I expect you to be there because you're, you're, you're going to be in Los Angeles. So I expect you to be there. On the 7th in the morning at 7 a.m., I'm going to be teaching for free. So you can afford this for free. I'm going to be teaching a class at a gym in Atwater Village. It's at 7 a.m. It's my hit class that I normally teach already at a park. It is free. And I'm letting you all know, I hope you can come because if you come and I and if I'm able to show that people care about coming to my class, then they'll let me teach there more often. So I really hope you all can come to that class the um, in addition to just coming in person, if you are listening to, to this, you can also come virtually. So you can come virtually, although you want to share better be there in person. You can come virtually. It's going to be again October 7th at 7 a.m. Pacific time. Anywhere in the world that you are, you could also come to that class. And that is going to be at the Heartbeat House. We'll have the links to all that um, on all our socials in the link in bio and of course on the on uh, the notes for this episode. One more thing that we've got that's happening is if you want to learn how to start a podcast, that's on October 11th. October 11th, we've got a podcast class at 5 p.m. Pacific time, and that's virtual. So again, anywhere in the world. So those are my housekeeping items. Any additional housekeeping items? What, any love for our, our listeners? Any messages? Do you want them to do anything? Write us reviews? Anything, Anishayla? I want them to do all of the things. I, we want you all to come to all of our events <laughs> because we really want to see, we really want to meet you in person. We want to see our listeners in person. So hopefully for those that are LA based, you can come out to one of those things and, and, and come up to and, and meet us because we would love to meet you. E, I will definitely be at your class, Brenda. Don't you worry. I will get up. I will drive from wherever I'm staying. I will get there at 7 a.m. I will so. see it when I believe it. I will believe it when I see it. Okay. Today, we have not one, but two interviews to inform our listeners about the importance of voting. Because guess what, y'all? We have midterm elections on November 8th. 
November 8th is uh, we got an election. So first we are going to hear from Adri Perez, a transgender, queer, first-generation immigrant whose intersectional experiences fuels their passion for strategy building across multiple areas of advocacy. Adri speaks so beautifully about how their work is rooted in the vision that their immigrant family had of coming to the uh, the U.S. for a better life, right? This is something that many of our immigrant families had, only to realize that there's actually a lot of barriers in this country for anyone, for everybody to self-actualize. So Adri, their advocacy work is rooted in getting rid of those barriers so that everyone can live their true selves and be able to thrive. And I just love this conversation with Adri. So let's hear from them now. First, I want to welcome you to Tamarindo. It's so good to to see you on the Zoom. How are you, Adri? I mean, I, this is an absolute dream. When I met you five years ago, you were my absolute favorite podcaster, and I never thought that I would have the opportunity to be on. So I'm doing I'm doing quite great living out this bucket list item. So for our listeners, for folks to know, I first met Adri. You were a fantastic speaker at the Unidos US back then. I don't know if it was already called NCLR, now called Unidos US, but the National Conference. And and you were phenomenal, great speaker. And of course, been following your work online over the years because you're based in Texas. And I would love for our listeners to know, you know, what is your why? Why do you do the work that you do, which intersects so many different things and is so inspirational? What is your why? You know, this is a very emotional answer for me because I I no longer talk to my family in, in a lot of ways, but my family moved to the United States when I was a six-month-old baby. And from the minute we moved here, every year I was in school, every year I grew older, the values that they ingrained in me were always that we were here in this country in order for me to to have access to a better life and to build that stability, not only for myself, but for my family. And so my family believed that this in the promise of this country, right, in the American dream and access to all of those values. And well, now I think that when that I'm older, right, I, I see that this was always a facade and a mirage that, that was almost impossible to attain because of the history of this country and the history of the way that it's treated immigrants. But because my family believed in that, I have always believed in making it a reality for them and for the people here who deserve it, right? We all deserve access to equal rights, both legally and in practice. We deserve to live lives full of dignity and respect to be able to self-actualize and choose our paths in every way, whether that is reproductive choices, um, the choices over our gender identity to access medically necessary life-saving care as a transgender person. And for the very real, I think, services that impact our daily lives, where in Texas right now, we don't have a stable electric grid, whether it's the summer or the winter, right? We deserve to live in homes with basic resources like electricity, water, which is increasingly scarce, and um, access to internet across the state, including in rural areas, some of which we lived in in El Paso before they were developed. But I do this work because because of my family, um, because they believed that it was achievable and they were relentless, relentlessly hopeful 
about pursuing that dream and that reality, despite the challenges that they faced in their daily lives. And so when things get really hard now, even for me or in the work that I'm doing for LGBTQ rights or in school boards, I think across Texas right now, I never lose that hope. I I mean, there are moments that are hard that I, I become a little bit more cynical, but I return to this hope and this belief that it is necessary, right, to believe that better is possible to if we ever believe that we're going to achieve it and plan towards it. Beautifully put, because I, I think a lot of people can connect to that, that experience of coming here for a better life, but then realizing, whoa, we need to work to make that reality happen, because you're right, it's not here currently, but there's people like you that are fighting every single day so that people can self-actualize and, and thrive. I love that. And I love that the way you connected that to your family, even though, as you mentioned, there's a lot of hurt there. And um, again, I'm familiar with your work. I've, I've seen you speak at panels and I know that you speak very um, compelling and powerful and authentically about, you know, some of the heartache and, and, and loss that happens sometimes in families when um, folks are not accepted. So, and I know that's something that you you speak about as well, but as a trans person, you know, what does it mean to you to be able to work in this space? I think you've outlined how it can be very difficult to, to remain hopeful, but you do remain hopeful. So how does that work for you? I think it, it comes down to the fact that I am very much an idealist <laughs> in so many ways. Um, but I'm, I also look, would like to rebrand idealists as, as mm. radical thinkers, right? Um, as the people who are visionaries, who paint that destination that we are working towards and in encouraging others to join us on that path and on that journey for radical dreaming and thinking and believing. Um, if we're ever going to make progress, I think that that is at the core what is necessary, right? We need to radically reimagine the systems that we currently have, radically examine the values that the practices we currently engage in are propelling and have the courage to challenge them and to propose something better. So Adri, I know that right now you are with the ACLU. You've been there for a few years. Tell me about, about that work and what does it look like in Texas? Because uh, you know we've got listeners everywhere, but we watch what's happening in Texas and it's discouraging to say the least. So tell me, what does the work of organizing look like on the ground in Texas? Yeah, so for the last two years at the ACLU of Texas, I've been the policy and advocacy strategist for LGBTQIA plus equality. Um, I started this role right before the 2021st legislative session, um, which comprised of one regular session and three special sessions. We were in total in the year of 2021 in session twice as long as we usually are in the state of Texas. And during that time, we saw over 75 anti-LGBTQ bills. 50 of them were specifically anti-trans bills. Um, Texas, I think, made up over half of the total anti-LGBTQ bills in the country in 2021. Um, there were 191 last year, and this year there are over 300 pieces of anti-LGBTQ legislation across the country. Texas isn't currently contributing to that number because we're not currently in session, but we are gearing up after this election um, to start the 88th legislative session where we anticipate to see uh, an increase uh, in the 
in the attacks against the LGBTQ community and the, the transgender community specifically. Um, so this work has largely consisted of fighting back against these bills uh, through, uh, you know, behind the scenes tactics, external tactics, um, doing press conferences and rallies to get our messages out, but also making sure to connect with legislators uh, behind the scenes to ensure that they're hearing the perspectives of transgender people like myself, but also kids and the parents who love and support them through accessing best practice gender affirming care, right? Last year, we stopped over 74 of those anti-LGBTQ bills, and only one of them got through after 10 months of being in session, and that was the transgender athlete ban. And currently, over 18 states ban transgender athletes from participating in K-12 through sports. And when you really break that down and what that means is we're banning kids from participating in sports with their peers because we are claiming to quote unquote save women's sports where's the support there i i want to go back because i know we talked about a whole lot but i want to go back and just really pause and celebrate because you mentioned so many bills right you the list of of anti-lgbtq and specifically anti-trans bills is endless and 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 only the only Mm -hmm. is it growing because they're not in session that's that's it that's very telling but what you said is that through advocacy through face-to-face conversations through empowering uh, parents and children to speak to power, you know, speak truth to power, you were able to, you and your team and, and collectively were able to stop many of these, these pieces of legislation from passing. So I don't want to uh, gleam over that and really celebrate that. And this is where the matraca would come mm-hmm. in for, for the work that you do, because that's, yeah. that is phenomenal. And, and, and that's what I, part of why we wanted to speak to you today, Adri, is for, for us to really get a closer look of what this looks like on the ground in places like Texas. Now, thinking about, um, we're about to have a midterm election. Um, you've given us a glimpse of what organizing looks like in Texas. You know, what what message do you have for folks that are thinking about sitting this election out or are or have never engaged or plugged in before? You know, how do you get folks to to get connected and get plugged in and get engaged? You know, I've been doing this work for a long time, right? So my circles of friends and the people that I spend time with are people that have also been doing this work for for a long time. So there are two messages, right, that I, when I'm thinking about this, um, the first is for the friends and the family around me that have been engaging with this work for a long time, which is to say that I see an increase in cynicism in the people who do this work on a regular basis. And I, one, I sometimes fall into it too. Like, I understand it is hard, right? But that is exactly what they want from you. All of this is so overwhelming. They are attacking our reproductive rights, our voting rights, our LGBTQ rights, our communities, our access to basic services, because they want us to be overwhelmed. They want us to be hopeless. They want us to be cynical and they want us to not engage with the system. And I, at the end of the day, what I return to is that if voting wasn't important, they wouldn't be trying so hard to take it away from you. And that is exactly what they have done every year since the electorate in Texas has started to change to create a white minority, right? And in this state, we finally have a a majority of BIPOC people in this state. 
And we thought for a long time that that majority would mean that there was a shift in demographics, but there has been a lack of engagement from the progressive and democratic party that has taken those communities for granted instead of engaging with them. And what I have always said for years is that we need, especially in states like Texas, an investment on the ground, not just in September and October leading up to the election, but a long-term consistent investment in organizing these communities and in investing in education and resources so that people know their rights, know how to engage with them and feel empowered to harness the power that they already hold within themselves Absolutely. to take and action. And it's year round, year round. So I love that message. The message is clear. If we got to invest in this work. But first of all, this requires money and we need it all year long. So that's the message if there's any funders out there listening to this particular section. Now, uh, <laughs> to, to wrap up our chat, I, you might know because you're, you're a listener, we've got our, fi- our rapid fire fun questions. <laughs> what is your matraca? What, is you, what are you celebrating, big or small? Wh- where does it go? Like who gets your matraca or what gets your matraca? About two weeks ago, we got a positive court ruling in our PFLAG v. Abbott case that came out as a result of the governor and the attorney general in Texas, twice indicted attorney general Ken Paxton, trying to come after the families of transgender kids. And we now have two lawsuits against (laughs) Abbott and Paxton. And we, two weeks ago, got our 10th positive and affirmative court case ruling stating that they cannot go after the families of transgender kids simply for loving and supporting their kids. So that that's my matraca. Huge matraca, definitely. Yes. Anything that that negatively impacts Abbott is a matraca. <laughs> yes, both, and both. Yeah. Now, okay, so what goes in la basura? What are you canceling? Who are you canceling? Person, place, thing, whatever. What is what is trash? Basura. Mm, I yeah, was going to say Ken Baxton. Abbott and Ken Baxton. <laughs> Ken Baxton and Abbott again. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Ken Paxton running away from indictments from abortion funds to running away from accountability, even though he knew exactly what was coming. Ken Paxton. It's always going to be Ken Paxton and Abbott, I'm going to be honest. Perfect. Yes. Put them both in la basura. And then um, how, I mean, you do so much and um, under such difficult circumstances, like like the, the list of anti-LGBTQ bills that you mentioned and just a lot of the lack of investment in Texas. I mean, there's so many things that um, add to stressors in this work, but how do you stay grounded? How do you, how do you get your calma? My absolute favorite thing in the world is putting on some music, putting on some mood lighting, um, grabbing like a cerveza or a nice glass of wine and cooking in the in the kitchen, just cooking a nice meal for myself, for my friends, for my community, feeding people. I did this just last night. I made baba ganoush. Ooh. Uh, I accidentally put cilantro in it, but it was very good. So I Happy recommend. accident. Happy accident. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you want to <laughs> replace the parsley in your baba ganoush with cilantro, it makes it a little bit fresher. So I made baba ganoush and some falafel for some friends. And i that's how I take care of myself. That's how I feel most at home. And I think that's also like deeply rooted in, in my <laughs> upbringing, right? In my Mexican Absolutely. upbringing where we have to feed everybody and cook for people. And that's how I feel um, my glass filled up with water and, and love and nourishment. I love that. That sounds beautiful. Now, are you dancing when you do this, when you're listening to music and cooking? For the most part, yes. Yes, I love it. Well, thank you so much, Adri, for stopping by Tamarindo. Big fans of the work that you do, which is just to help people um, self-actualize and thrive and removing the barriers that get in the way of that. 
So thank you so much for your work and thank you so much for stopping by. Now we're going to hear from Ji Yoong Park, who is a candidate for Superior Court Judge here in LA County. She is a private attorney who handles civil rights, labor, and tenant matters, and was previously a union side labor attorney with SEIU 1000 and member of UAW Local 2350. Ji Yoong is here to talk to us about the Defenders of Justice, a slate of progressive women all running for Superior Court Judge in LA County, and they're working together to get more progressive women elected. We wanted to hear from Ji Yoong Park to better understand why it's so challenging for attorneys that aren't former prosecutors to become judges and how we can work to change that. Let's hear from her now. I want to start off by congratulating you um, and all the Defenders of Justice for advancing to the general election. I think that's really exciting. Thank you so much. It really is exciting. Um, The Defenders of Justice are the first slate of judicial candidates with progressive values. The fact that there were, we're all women is, is big. And the fact that we're um, not prosecutors is really big too. Yes, definitely. And I think a, a lot of people, myself included, um, we, I think, are, can be intimidated when, we, when it comes to voting for judges. It's There's not a lot much information out there. So it's already awesome that there's something called the Defenders of Justice. So you, at least for people like me, I would know that I'm aligned with the values of folks that are part of this cohort. But first, why don't we hear a little bit about your background and your story? Why are you running? Why are you running now? So I am running to diversify the judiciary. Not only do we sorely need more women and people of color, but We also need diversity of perspective and legal background. And the fact that I'm speaking with you here right now about the general election is a testament to the fact that the public wants to diversify the judiciary. When I'm going out to canvas and speak to people, you know, I just have to say, I'm running against a prosecutor, I'm a union side labor and civil rights attorney. And then They're like, say no more. Um, And so people really want to diversify the judiciary. Yeah, definitely. Um, And and you talked about how the folks, the defenders of justice, you're you're not prosecutors, right? Um, So is that, why is that abnormal? Who who typically runs for judges? There has been a prosecutor to judge pipeline ever since L.A. County started having elections in judicial races. So since these elections started happening, about 80% of the people who have been elected into these judge seats have been prosecutors. There is this notion on the part of the people who are actually doing the voting, who tend to skew older uh, and white, um, and conservative, they tend to think that prosecutors are going to make better judges when, in fact, we need judges from all types of backgrounds who are going to fill judge seats in the nine different types of courts that we have in the LA Superior Court system. So it's not just criminal courts, we have civil, family, probate. Um, uh, small claims, traffic, 
so many different types of courts. And I can just tell you from being on the campaign trail and even, you know, from talking to friends that a lot of people who, you know, whose only um, experience with the courts is say family court, even in family court, people are having negative experiences with the judges in those courts, including someone that I met on the Tamarindo podcast hike. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) She complained about how the judge in, in her family law custody case was being unfair. And so we want to bring a community informed perspective because we work directly with community members, represent community members, represent marginalized folks, represent, you know, African American, Latino, Latina, um, uh, indigenous people, people of color. Those are the people that we're actually representing. And so our perspectives are informed by that. Um, and that's why we need to be judges. Um, so what do people need to know more about judicial races, especially when it comes to things like bar ratings? So judicial races are very low information races. Our budgets are not as big as other races. What the Defenders of Justice is, try, um, is trying to do is to change that. And we are trying to go to the voters, make it easier for people to know about us and to educate folks about why judicial races matter and why people should vote for us. This has never been done. We're going out to knock doors in in neighborhoods. Um, One thing that a lot of press folks focus on is bar ratings. Um, that's because just it's just something that traditionally people have relied on, but the bar ratings are created by the LA County Bar Association Judicial Elections Endorsement Committee, which honestly is, it's, it's a gatekeeping organization. Um, so Biden last year, the Biden administration made the decision to stop using bar ratings by the American Bar Association, decided to stop using bar ratings in their judicial nomination process. And part of the reason I believe that happened is because bar ratings tend to discriminate against women and people of color. Um, so that is no different with the LA County Bar Association Judicial Endorsement Committee. When you look at the roster, which is public and on their website, you can see that they're volunteer attorneys who are mostly big law attorneys, corporate attorneys, and prosecutors. There are very few public defenders, zero nonprofit attorneys. Um, and very little, very few people who work directly with our communities. So I urge folks to 
take those ratings with a grain of salt, with a pound of salt. <laughs> I am endorsed by leaders like council member elect Onises Hernandez. Yes. <laughs> um, council member Sasha Renee Perez from Alhambra. Um, Ma- uh, Montebello city council member Scarlett Peralta and so many more leaders who understand the need to diversify the bench. And by the way, I want to add that there are Latina lawyer groups in LA who have this campaign about how we have to diversify the judiciary because only 2% of the judges are Latina. So while, you know, we are the defenders of justice um, there are no Latinas on our slate. I hope in the next slate there will be some Latina candidates. Um, there is, you know, we have two women of color on our slate, and in every single demographic that is non-white, um, we are behind in terms of parity, in terms of having representation on the bench. Yeah, no, that's really a really helpful explanation. I think that. Folks are going to be, um, as I am, enlightened about this process and, and and why we really need to diversify the bench, which is what the you know, the message that we're driving here. And yes, next slate, we'll have some Latinas hopefully running and love all the folks that are behind your campaign. So first, lastly, I should say, lastly, where can people find out more about you, about this race, and how can we support you? You can go to our website, which is thedefendersofjustice2022.com. And on that website, it, it links to all of our individual websites, campaign websites. And you can, this is a very grassroots campaign. My opponent and her partner have put in $200,000 into her campaign. Someone with her last name, uh, a, I'm guessing a relative put in another 50,000. So just her family has put in a quarter million dollars essentially to buy a seat. I don't have that kind of money. My family does not have that kind of money. Neither do my slate mates. So we're running a grassroots campaign. We could really use financial support because that's how campaigns are run. <laughs> um, we, we, we need donations. Um, folks can donate to the slate uh, on the slate website. Folks can also donate to our individual campaigns on our individual websites. Um, if folks can't donate, you can donate your time by volunteering. We're having text banking door knocking, um, uh, you know, you can, pe- folks can volunteer to put on a meet and greet or host a fundraiser. And if you don't have time for any of that, because I know there are lots of people who don't have the capacity to, to do any of that, just spreading the word about us and encouraging people to vote. So earlier I was talking about how you know, not everyone is voting and the people who do tend to vote have tended to lean more conservative. And those people are making decisions 
for us. And that should not be happening. So please encourage people to register to vote, remind people to vote, uh, re-register if they've moved or are new citizens and um, spread the word about us. And by the way, our website has Spanish on it. My campaign website has Spanish on it. I don't think any other individual campaign website has Spanish on it. I'm very, um, I'm very passionate about language justice, and that's why we're endorsed by the Court Interpreters Union, um, which is made up of the court interpreters who work in the LA Superior Court system. Yeah, that's great. I definitely noticed that on your website. Well, um, G, um, G. Young Park and Park for Judge, that's the website. And of course, we're going to link all of the other sites that you mentioned. We really appreciate you coming down, Tamarindo, and reminding us about the importance of this race and everybody getting out to vote and to pay attention to these judge races. And if you live in L.A. County, you can vote for the Defenders of Justice. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much. It was such a pleasure. All right. I hope that everyone feels inspired to get involved, to vote, and to make the world a better place along with the folks that we were able to hear from today. So, Anna Sheila, let's close out with our rapid-fire questions. What gets your matraca? So I'm going to give my matraca to the folks that are doing the hard work of informing us and educating us about uh, local measures so that we can be prepared to vote and know what we're voting for. So that's what I want to give my matraca to today. Absolutely. Absolutely. All the folks that were part of this conversation on this episode and everybody listening. Yes, yes, yes. Well, my matraca goes to two partners uh, that I want to shout out. And as another reminder to all of you, one is the pop hub. The pop hub is an indie bookstore in Highland Park, and we just want to thank them for hosting us again. That's October 6th for our live event. So thank you to the Pop Hub and thank you to the Heartbeat House for letting me teach this class for free on October 7th. So those are my matracas to those two partners and just celebrating all of them. Now, Ana Sheila, what goes in la basura for you? Okay, so what I'm going to put in the basura this week is charging 85 cents to a dollar or sometimes even more for a splash of almond milk or oat milk or, yeah. or soy milk. And I say this because... So annoying. <laughs> because, oh, my God. So and, <laughs> and here's the thing. Here's the, here's the thing. I normally get, um, like, a macchiato. And it, it, for y'all that don't know what a macchiato is, it's literally just como espresso with the slightest amount of milk. It's, like, it's barely a drop. Like, it's this really short espresso drink. And I just don't think it's fair that regardless of what drink you get that you add alternative milk to you have to pay the same amount and what sucks is that I'm just so not used to the taste of cow milk anymore that I literally cannot stomach it in my coffee and so I always have to get it and I just it just makes me really mad every time yeah they exploit that they exploit that completely absolutely <laughs> absolutely yes that goes in la basura for me what goes in la basura is just periods like why do we continue to have periods why do they have new symptoms as you get older like now it's like comes with anxiety like what so just basura to periods i don't want them if you're not gonna procreate like i shouldn't have to have this thing so no periods right <laughs> yes basura to that and then how are you getting your calma Okay, so my calma for this week is is kind of a basura, but my calma is I'm trying to feel less guilty about 
doing nice things or having nice things. And I think sometimes a lot of people in our community, more progressive folks, I think sometimes we struggle to really enjoy doing nice things because maybe we think like we should only get to do nice things if everyone has nice things. And I totally get that. And, and I think we're fighting for all of us to have that. But I think that it's also not helpful for us to feel guilty about getting to do nice things if we're, if we're able to. So a, a message that I've been trying to tell myself about this is sometimes when I'm being feeling too guilty about getting to do something I want to have been wanting to do is like, porque quiero y porque puedo. Sometimes I don't have to get deeper than that. Sometimes I get to just enjoy things that I've been wanting to do. So that's what my calma is. This Great. Week. I'm glad you're enjoying that. Porque quiero, porque puedo, porque me da la gana. Okay. <laughs> what about you, Brenda? Well, I've been enjoying island life. So I've been living in Alameda for just a week and a half, but it, it's really great. We have so many friends that live here in Alameda, which is just, you know, across the bay from San Francisco. It's such a cute little town, very bikeable. I've been getting up and walking to the beach. It's not far and the weather has been so lovely and just catching up with all our friends out here. But I would say to the, the uh, speaking of like just those joys and, and not feeling guilty about it, one of the things that I've been doing is walk into a coffee shop and they have this ube latte and it's delicious. It's purple. It's gorgeous. It's yummy. And this place has Wi-Fi. It's like all the things that LA like does not have about making it pleasant to go work at a coffee shop. So just loving that. So with that, um, folks, we hope to see you in person. We hope you keep sharing this episode and other episodes with friends. We hope that you kick us over a dollar, kick us over a donation. We've got the link in our in our show notes always to support us. And uh, we will see you on the next one. Bye, Ana Sheila. Ponte un suerte. Sí, Besitos, abrazos. Bye. Tamarindo Podcast is Brenda Gonzalez and Ana Sheila Victorino. Our producers are Mitzi Hernandez and Augusto Martinez of Sonoro Media. Our theme song is by Jeff Ricards. If you want to support our work, please rate and review Tamarindo Podcast on Apple Podcasts and share this episode with a friend. Get in touch with us at tamarindopodcast.com. Cuando mi arrendador dijo que el alquiler podría ser más barato si fuéramos amigos con beneficios. Había oído hablar de acoso sexual en el lugar de trabajo, pero en mi casa. Eso es discriminación en la vivienda basada en el sexo. La gente de bienes raíces dijo que estaríamos más cómodos viviendo en un vecindario diferente con gente como nosotros. Por suerte conocíamos nuestros derechos. Es ilegal asustar a los posibles propietarios para que se alejen de ciertos vecindarios en función de raza o nacionalidad. Si usted cree que sufrió discriminación o tiene preguntas sobre sus derechos, comuníquese con Fair Housing Foundation, Fundación de Vivienda Justa, al 800-446-3247 o también en línea en fhfca.org. La vivienda justa es su derecho. Este es un anuncio de servicio público de Fair Housing Foundation y respaldado por el Departamento de Vivienda y Desarrollo Urbano HUD bajo la subvención de FIPPI, FPEI, 220099. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.